Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you, to welcome you to, uh, to Providence Church, or maybe uh, welcome you for the first time. Or I know we have folks that are back, you know, from Easter weekend for your second time. And so we're just glad that each of you are here joining us uh, today. A special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I know we have a big group of folks that joins us every week at 11 o'clock central. And so welcome, 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 wherever you may be, whatever time zone you're in, uh, we are glad that you're here. I wanted to give a, a quick word of celebration and thank you for last weekend, which was Easter weekend. You know, we spent a long time talking about it here, getting ready, how we could prepare. And it was just a, a beautiful time. And I wanted to thank you for all the ways uh, that you made possible for people to worship and hear the good news of Jesus. So we ended up having about uh, 3,700 people that worshiped here, you know, in person at Providence and hundreds and hundreds more online. And I, I say that to say just thank you. It took you guys, uh, you know, in the parking lot, in Providence Kids, in hospitality, uh, so many different ways. We had this group that came in here after each service and cleaned uh, up the, the worship center because I guess y'all make an enormous mess uh, just by, by being in here. I really don't know what you're, what you're doing during the sermon, but there's a lot of cleanup uh, <laughs> that's needed. And so many people, um, things that you did, uh, clearly inviting your neighbors to come, you know, we're so excited to know that people through um, the worship services and through kids got to hear that Jesus is resurrected from the grave and that it's the best story, the best part of the best story uh, that could ever happen. We had almost 1,500 people come on Saturday, uh, which is amazing. It's the most we've ever had, and that frees up room on Easter Sunday. So just a lot, a lot to celebrate, and I wanted to thank you uh, for that. The way that you invest uh, in this church in so many ways, I believe, is making a big difference. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Today we're starting a conversation uh, on mental health, and I'm calling it a conversation, which may not be the best word, it's just me talking and y'all listening. That's my favorite kind of conversation uh, to have, but I didn't necessarily want to call it a series like we normally do. I wanted it to feel a bit more open because what we're hoping to do over the next few weeks is really just bring uh, into the light something that many of us uh, are dealing with or someone close to us is dealing with, which is uh, something that's affected all of us, especially in the last few years, is what it means to have have some struggles with mental health. If you've been here and heard me preach uh, for any amount of time, you know that a part of my journey and struggle has been uh, with anxiety for the last 20 years or so as an adult. The first time I went to the emergency room uh, with a panic attack, I was a 20-year-old college student. And so a part of my journey uh, in lots of different ways um, and struggle has been uh, with anxiety and mental health. And so I share with you, that's why I'm saying I don't necessarily feel, in some ways I'm the least qualified, in some ways the most qualified person uh, to talk to you. But my hope is that we can just be honest uh, and share our hearts. And I can promise you find power and um, confidence. Uh, this isn't just a time where we say, oh, woe is me, we've got all these problems. No, actually God has ways of freeing us and setting us on a, on a different path. Uh, Jesus said one time that I have come, he said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus said, I've come in the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So you might say, you know, why are we talking about mental health in church? The first reason is there is power when things in darkness are brought into light. <laughs> There is power when things that have kind of been going on in our minds or our hearts or, you know, at our homes and no one's really seen that. There's just a, there is a spiritual 
power that happens when dark things are brought into light. Another way of saying it is, is dark things lose their power just by being acknowledged. So even, even just some of the things that we'll say and bring and bring in our hearts before God, you will find a, a lifting and an encouragement. That's really my hope in all this is that there is, a, uh, there is an encouraged people of God who may have uh, struggles with depression, anxiety, addiction, burnout, but we become a more empowered, confident people because we understand what Jesus' role is. And listen, listen to what it says. If you go back to that verse, Alex, it says um, that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So this does not say that Christians will never find themselves in darkness. It doesn't say that we'll never walk in darkness. It doesn't say that we won't become well acquainted with darkness. Do you hear what it says? It says you won't stay in darkness. That you don't have to, the King James Version says um, that you will not abide in darkness, which means you don't have to live there. So you can set, some of us have set up camp there, right? You know, we've got our Coleman stove, we're very comfortable, we've got our chair, you know. Uh, so you might camp out in darkness. That happens. There's things we go through that are dark and difficult. Some of the things that have come against us. But you will not, you will not stay there with Jesus, that is not going to be your home. You're not going to, going to live in darkness. Another reason that we're going to talk about mental health is struggles with mental health are real. It's just a real part of life. Uh, Rick Warren says that the church has, Rick Warren was a pastor of Saddleback Church in California for a long time. He says the church has stigmatized mental illness and depression for far too long. What does that mean? It means that at church for a while we've kind of made mental health something that's like, let's not really talk about that all that much. Or, or, or almost a sense of like, there could be something kind of wrong with you if you stay there too long. Or even like, maybe we could just kind of pray that out of you, okay? Um, struggles with mental health are real. And it is not a sin to be sick, okay? It's not a sin to struggle. Your brain is an organ in your body like your heart and your lungs. And those things get sick, and they can get broken and they can struggle. So depression and anxiety for the Christian are things that we face. And for the folks in this room, I know have spilled into our lives in all kinds of ways. Uh, and if it's not you, chances are someone that you are close to um, has struggled with this. And that's why even today, some of the things we'll talk about, I'm, I'm going to invite you at certain times just to like hold your kids in your hands, right? Hold your child. Hold your mom or dad who's lonely or who's, uh, who's depressed that you're caring for. We're going we're gonna to hold them and bring them into the light spiritually. I believe this stuff is real, biologically, socially, all that. But what we have a few moments to do this morning is talk about what's going on spiritually and where is God uh, when we talk about these things. Uh, I could inundate you with research on how this is so real right now. I'm not going to do a bunch of that. I did find it interesting to know that mental illness is the world's number one health problem right now. It causes more death than cancer every year. It ranks as the leading cause of disability. One out of five people in America have been on medication for depression or anxiety, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's something that I have done in my life. Treatment for mental health is up 300% in the last few years. I don't know what's happened in the last few years. It seems pretty smooth to me. Um, <laughs> but what, what, I, what, what I want to do is I want to remove the stigma. Because we're not talking about people out there, we're talking about us. We're talking about our sons, our daughters, our moms, our dads, our friends, our neighbors. Number three, why are we doing this? Why are we having this conversation? Because God never wastes our pain. He never wastes our pain. 
So any amount of struggle that you're in, any amount of darkness that you're facing is something that God is going to be with you in, is going to become a part of your story. We've talked about this before, how it is achieving for us glory. It's achieving for us in the spiritual realm. So you can, you can begin to find purpose in the pain that you're in. You can begin to see how God is going to use uh, the darkness. I'm not saying that as like, you know, self-help, you know, get you feeling good stuff. I believe that the Bible is the true word of God. And in it, it says that God's uh, power is made perfect in our weakness. It comes from a place where Paul is talking about something that he's really been struggling with. Could be depression, could be, we don't know what it is. He, he called it the thorn in his flesh. This thing where he said, God, would you take this thing away from me? Have you ever had something like that that you're struggling with? He, three times he said, I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me, take it away from me, take it away from me. But instead of the thing actually being taken away from Paul, it says he gets a word from God, from Jesus, where Jesus says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. This is actually what Jesus says. He says, my grace is enough for you. My grace is enough for what you're going through. And he says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And that's why we talk about this stuff, not to have a woe is me or a pity party. There's no reason to share all that stuff. But when we bring our weaknesses before God in the spirit, there is a magnification of the power. That's what Paul said in that verse. He says, um, he says I would most rather boast in my weaknesses so that the power may be magnified in me. So, you know, sometimes people are like, man, you're real about your stuff, Jacob. It's like, yeah, that's not my intent. I would rather y'all not know anything about my life. But the reason I'm sharing it is because Christ's power is magnified when we bring our weaknesses before God. When we're honest, when we bring it into the light, because Jesus is a light, the dark stuff loses its power. I'm pretty pumped about it. <laughs> so God never wastes our pain. And as someone who is well acquainted with this journey, I know two things that begin to rise up when you find yourself deep within this. The first is, I don't know how I got here. Like when you're, when you're really struggling sometimes mentally, you're like, how did I get here? Or I do that sometimes. I'm like, what in the world? How did I get here, right? You start looking at my story like I have two wonderful, loving parents. I have all good things at my disposal. I have every uh, strength and community that is at my access. How do, I, how do I get here? You see what I'm saying? And so I begin to put shame upon my shame. I'm just placing it on myself because I'm like, I shouldn't be here. And I go deeper and deeper and you think, how did I get here? And the next thing that comes up when you get to how do I get here is how do I get out of here? And so we're like, is this just my deal? Is it, I'm just going to have to be here? And what I can tell you is that there's strength in talking about how did I get here? Because within both of those statements is sort of this stuckness. I don't know if you feel that right now in your own life, like I'm just stuck. And so if you begin to understand how I did get here, you, you can begin to realize how to get out of there. And I do believe that there is power. I'm, we're not just doing this to be like, and you're just going to stay stuck there. No, God is going to show us that there is a place that he is leading us, a good thing that he has for our kids, a good thing that he has for our parents, and he is going to lead us there. Remember, hope, encouragement, confidence, power, restoration, all those things we have, all these things are available for us. But if we don't even acknowledge, if we just come to church and we're just like, hey, we're all, we're good and everything's good and we're the good people of, of Mount Juliet, we're playing a game, right? But if we say, man, I got some real struggles 
and begin to bring that into the light. We have things available through the church that we're going to make sure is much more apparent during this time. We always do this, but we have wonderful Christian counselors who we work with. I see some of you in the room right now. We have funding that's available for anybody that needs to go. Uh, one of our biggest line items in our, in our budget in that area is, is we pay for kids and families and people to go to counseling. We believe that there's healing that's found in that. On Tuesday nights, we're having care night, which is specifically about this area. If you want to go to a deeper place with maybe, you know, a hundred other people that come and eat a meal and, and do some classes together, we have that. But what we're going to do on Sunday mornings is talk about the spiritual nature of some of these things. Because I believe that if we neglect to understand spiritually what's going on with our mental health, we're missing this huge component that can lead to healing. So what I want to tell you about uh, this morning is the, not the first, but one of the, one of the first recorded instances of a very faithful follower of God hitting rock bottom with depression. Okay? And it's found in the Bible. The person we're going to talk about is Elijah. And this portion of Elijah's story comes in 1 Kings. It'll be in chapter 19, what we'll be looking at. But I want you to know a little bit about Elijah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament about 700 years before Jesus. And what prophets did back then is they would hear from God, hear a word from God, and then share that word with the people of God. They would also receive words from the people of God. Hey, we're in trouble. We're struggling. We need you. And then the prophet would take that word to God. Uh, Elijah was known as the troubler of Israel. A troubler. And one thing I've learned about is uh, troublemakers, as, like do, what Elijah was, is he was an irritant, okay? He was sort of annoying. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Okay. So, thank you, ma'am. Um, but what, uh, what we see about uh, Elijah is that sometimes a trouble, here's what happens. Sometimes a troublemaker, when we look back on it, is really a prophet. And sometimes a troublemaker, when we look back on it, is just a troublemaker. They're just annoying, okay? So I don't want to say every, like your husband's going to be like, I'm a prophet. No, you're not. <laughs> you are, you're not a prophet, buddy. Uh, so where we pick up uh, with Elijah, there's this crazy thing that has happened. There's been a drought for three years, and the drought has led to a nationwide famine. And so the, the nation, the people of Israel, it's just a big mess. They're sick. They're tired. They don't have what they need. And in the midst of that, there is this create, there's created this showdown on the top of a mountain to prove who is the real God. And the showdown takes place between Elijah, one prophet, and get this, 850 other prophets of the other gods, the idols of that nation, Baal, Asherah, some of these, some of these idols. So it's Elijah 1 verses 850. And the, and the showdown is whose God can bring fire from the sky? That's a pretty cool showdown. Well, that's not our story for today, so I can't give you the whole thing. But what you need to know is Elijah's God brings fire and the 850 other prophets look foolish. Uh, in other words, Elijah's gods comes through and all the other gods uh, don't. So Elijah's then standing before the king. His name is Ahab, standing before King Ahab. And remember, there hasn't been rain in three years, but he's just proved that his God is the one who can do anything. And so Elijah says, I hear the sound of raindrops, which is a crazy thing to say. It hasn't rained in three years and there's not a cloud in the sky. What is Elijah doing? He's setting up another moment for God to come through. And so Elijah gets down and starts praying. He does this like sevenfold prayer. He's praying, he's praying, he's praying. There's no cloud. And then all of a sudden the, the, the sky breaks open with rain. And what Elijah has set up is that there will be no way that the people of that nation will be able to think that their restoration and redemption from this famine and drought had anything to do except with the God who Elijah could call upon. It's a great moment. And so Elijah's like looking so great, but there's 
this other character in the story, and her name is Jezebel. She is the wife of Ahab. Like, nobody names their kid Jezebel anymore. I don't think. I'm looking at, so you're like, my mom's name is Jezebel. I'm sorry. We'll talk later. I don't, it's not important. But, like, her name is Jezebel, and she is known as not a good character in the story because she worships the God of those 850 prophets. And when this one dude makes a fool out of her gods, she takes it personally, it makes a fool out of her. And Queen Jezebel issues a royal edict that Elijah must be killed within the next 24 hours. And Elijah, who has just shown that his God can do anything, runs and runs away. So the prophet who prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed is now running. Let me read it to you from 1 Kings. It says that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So the, the distance from Carmel to Beersheba is about 100 miles. So he's run like four back-to-back marathons. He comes to this place. It's interesting. He tells his buddy, his servant who's been with him right next to his side, you stay here. And he goes into the wilderness further by himself. And then the next verse says that he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. We have the words to his prayer. He says, I have had enough, Lord. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Courageous Elijah who stood before the 850 prophets of Baal and called down the fire of God. Elijah, who said, listen to the sound of raindrops when there wasn't a cloud in the sky. Elijah is now in rapid time so discouraged that he tells God to end it because he has had enough. And then uh, what does he do? He takes a nap. That, my friends, is my proof that Elijah was depressed. I am taking a nap. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He's like, I'm just going to go to that place. The only way I know to shut it down, the only way I know to get all that stuff out there is just to get in bed and go to sleep. But he's not in bed. He's out in the wilderness with his head on a rock underneath a broom bush. And Elijah prays to die. Now, this isn't, uh, we don't think necessarily a suicidal prayer, although, of course, depression and discouragement can lead to that place of darkness. What Elijah is instead doing is he's kind of pulling away all of the things that were life to him and saying, I am done, God. And it says he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. You heard right. God wakes Elijah up gives him some fresh baked bread and some water. It's like, what do you need when you're depressed? Just a snack, right? And then Elijah says, I'm going to do some more napping. He goes back to sleep. It says the angel of the Lord came back and touched him a second time and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Sometimes when we say we've had enough, God agrees. He says, you're right. This is too much for you. And he lets us rest. And he gives us some bread and drink. And I love this. It says, um, this is kind of weird, right? But it says an angel actually touched him in the wilderness. So what I want you to begin to see is that some spiritual things can be happening even when we're in a dark place. That God is intervening with some of God's most creative spiritual ways. An angel coming and, you know, touching his shoulder, 
and saying, hey, I baked bread. And uh, I'm going to have to tell Rachel that. Just like, bake some bread for me, baby, next time I'm <laughs> feeling down. Maybe not. Um, so how did Elijah go from being this confident troubler of Israel, exposing false gods and bringing fire down from heaven, into this guy who's alone in the desert praying to die? I think I know. It says when God was being glorified through Elijah, his enemy issues a death warrant. So pay attention in the spiritual realm. That while God is doing something in his life, there is an enemy who's saying, I want to take this person out. Darkness comes after Elijah, even though things were probably the best they'd ever been in his career. You see what I'm saying? Elijah could say, why do I even feel this way? Why am I going through this? I got all this good stuff happening. But there was someone out there who was trying to come against him. The enemy, our enemy, does not like a man who prays and prays and prays and prays. And our enemy does not like a man who's picturing rain clouds when there's a drought. <laughs> and the enemy does not like a woman who exposes that the people in power are following false gods. And so here's what the enemy does. The enemy knows his lane. The enemy does not have every power at his capability. Here's what the enemy does. The enemy discourages. So uh, the enemy can't do everything. There is no way that the enemy could ever beat God in a fire from the sky contest. The enemy will never win in the supernatural. But the thing that the enemy will do to a mom or a dad or, or a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a president or a king is discourage and get the faithful ones in darkness. You see, there are so many things that the enemy has no power over you. There are so many things that the enemy cannot do in your life. There's actually so many things within the spiritual battle. The war has actually already been won. But the enemy has a tactic, and it is to discourage your heart. It is to discourage your son. It is to discourage you, faithful family of God. It is to discourage you, prophet. It is to lay you low in darkness. Not where um, your life is taken, but where you will begin to pull away all the things that are life to you so that your prayer is, I've had enough, just take me out. So what does Elijah do when he's discouraged? First, he starts running, like a lot. He has a lot of movement. Think about your life. Things are going on. You're not feeling so hot. Darkness is coming in. But what do we do? Keep moving. Elijah does four back-to-back -back marathons. That's some serious moving. And then when he gets 100 miles away, he tells the one person who's stuck by his side. There was this dude who just stuck with Elijah. And he tells that guy, you stay here, I'm going deeper. I like to call this uh, exhaustion plus isolation equals discouragement. So when you have both those things together, I'm just telling you, it is a guarantee that you're going into the darkness. But a lot of us are tired right now, we're exhausted, I get it. Some of us feel isolated right now, I get it. But if you put exhaustion with isolation, I've done it a few times, okay? <laughs> you put those things together, it's discouragement. It's darkness, and it's one of the evil ones, best tactics for the people who follow God. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, keep those people away, keep those people away, keep those people away. It's a spiritual principle. Now, remember, I said I believe that mental illness is a real thing, biologically, socially, all that. But spiritually, there's some things that take place. Chris Hodges, who's the pastor of Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, has a great book, uh, you might check it out, called Out of the Cave, which is about his own personal journey through depression as a pastor of a really big church. 
And he talks about that there are different triggers that he's found in his own life that have led to um, discouragement um, or even depression. And so uh, he calls these emotional triggers for depression. And the first one, he says, almost always is grief. So I just want to talk about them practically for a few moments. Um, He's found, and I think most uh, people in mental health would say that grief is a, is a big-time trigger, means something that sets off us going into darkness. And we all have grief. So these aren't things that we won't have. It's like these things uh, can lead there. So when you have a big loss in your life 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago, and these losses can be like someone you love, but it can also be the life that you thought you were going to have. Uh, it could be a marriage. It could be a job. It could be the way that you looked at yourself. And that grief can lead to, it could be a trigger for, it doesn't have to be, but it can be. The second thing he says is there is a learned helplessness that oftentimes comes out of grief. What is a learned helplessness? Well, in this life, events happen that are out of our control. You know that, right? That there's just some things that happen in our life that you do not get to control. And a lot of times that has to do with parenting or your job or your physical health. It's just out of your control. And so we feel powerless. And feeling powerless is not a bad thing. But when you feel powerless and it leads you to a place of hopeless and helpless, you can actually learn that. It can be, it can be something that you get really good at really used to. And so you learn to be helpless and that leads you to depression. A third is just real simple. It's just old fashioned disappointment. And uh, how many of us have just faced some disappointment over the last few years? Right? Yeah, just, just disappointments. Like this is, uh, and whatever, you know, it's not about disappointment. It's like sometimes disappointment just gets like this snowball and it's like, oh, that disappointed me. And then that disappointed me. And then you're just thinking, is everything going to disappoint me? It's one of the things that comes out of learned helplessness and disappointment is we can create these worst case scenarios in our mind over and over and over again. The fourth thing that Hodges talks about in this book is that a loss of purpose can lead to depression. When we feel unneeded, irrelevant, unwanted. And from my personal experience as a pastor, I've learned that loss of purpose raises its head usually when there's been a big transition in life. Like the kids have moved out, so you had this purpose, and now it feels like a loss of purpose. Or maybe you've gone through a divorce, you had so many things that were together that gave purpose, and now, uh, now it feels like you don't. Um, maybe even retirement, right? I had this purpose in doing all this, and now just a transition can lead to a feeling of loss of purpose. So those are emotional triggers. Of course, there are biological ones. There are societal ones, meaning things that are going on outside of us. Uh, uh, Hodges says what happens outside of us has consequences for what happens inside of us. But all I'm trying to do is build the case and show you just, uh, in other words, all the things in life come together to affect us. Why was Elijah depressed? It wasn't one thing. It was stress and grief and exhaustion and lack of control and fear, and he was hungry. Right? And that led him to this place where he suddenly was in the darkness. How did you get here wherever you are? All the things. And guys, we've had all the things lately. You know, We've just had all the things lately. And so we can be honest and open up and say, uh, I got some things I need God's help with in my mental health. Um, so where do we go from here? I just want to give you a few kind of focuses. Um, these are true statements. They're going to seem really simple, but we're going to hold on to them as we go through all this. The first is this. God knows what you're going through, and he loves you. I'm going to make sure you hear that today, okay? God actually knows what you are going through. You know what you're going through, okay? 
Well, God knows that. And he loves you. Every last stinking one of you in this room, okay? All of you guys online. He loves you even in what you're going through. He knows it. He knows it inside and out. And he loves you. You have to have these truths to gain the confidence, the encouragement, the power to get through it, okay? He knows you and and he loves you. The second is this. God knows your thoughts and he promises to renew your mind. God knows what we're thinking and he promises to renew your mind. He knows what you're thinking, um, you know, in the middle of the night when you wake up. And this renewal is God's intention. God's saying, I have something for you to make you new in your mind. There's a a verse we'll look at later, not today, that says um, that we are to take uh, captive these thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. And I've been thinking about that in my own life, like some of these things I've been thinking. Uh, I've tried it this week. You know, I've had some thoughts that have come to mind, and I said, I'm going to put you in jail, right? Take the thought captive. I'm taking this thought thought, I'm putting you in jail, and you now have to be obedient to Christ, to what Christ says. I did it last night, I'll tell you, because I have felt totally unqualified for talking about this. Like, how is the guy who has this struggle be the the one that gets to talk about this? And so uh, last night, I put it in jail. I said, that thought, I'm putting you in jail, and you're going to have to be obedient to Christ, because I believe Christ has called me to be a preacher. And I believe Christ has called me to preach the truth. It doesn't mean that I have to have it all figured out. It doesn't mean that I have to have it down pat before I come before people that love me. I'm going to bring it into the light. I'm going to let there be power there. You're in jail. You're captive to Christ. I'm just learning and trying it. That sounds weird. I'll I'll work on that for next week, okay? Um, The third thing is God knows your weaknesses and promises to give you strength. Remember, we said that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. So we bring those things before him. My favorite line in Chris Hodge's book, he says, Jesus in you is stronger than the depression, anxiety, and fear in you. So whatever's going on, you know, you know your darkness, you know, well, I'm just telling you, Jesus is stronger. (laughs) He's stronger than that in you. And we have this thing here at Providence that we say, I believe it to the deepest part of my heart. And that is, we believe in the healing power of Jesus Christ. We believe that his name holds power. He's that powerful that the sound of his name sends the demons running to the darkness. It's amazing to think about that we have access to a power in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual battle, just like Elijah did, that we can speak it and there can be power. And so that's what we're gonna do uh, just as we um, wrap this uh, sermon up this morning is Shelby's just gonna sing some words over you, the name of Jesus, okay? And I just want you to receive the name in whatever you're going through. I would encourage you, if you have a son or daughter that you're praying for who has mental health uh, stuff going on, maybe just hold your hands out and just picture that. I'm holding them in my hands, God, before you. And let Jesus do some work. Let the spiritual world work. Maybe you have a parent who's lonely right now, who's, who's depressed. You can just hold your parent before, and you know if it's you. If you're like, it's me, man, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this darkness. Let's let Jesus work in it. We believe that Jesus can heal and raise you up from the dead. So Shelby, uh, just sing over us for a, for a moment, please. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus 
speak the name of Jesus. And we pray that you would break strongholds that the evil one has created through his old tactic of discouragement. So in the name of Jesus, evil one, you have no power over us, no power over this church, no power over these families, no power over our children. We believe Jesus has the power to do all things. So we speak that name. He's the one who went to the cross, spilled his blood, conquered all manner of evil, sin, and death, and was resurrected from the grave, came out remembering our names. So as we come to communion today, Lord, let it be a feasting, a moment of celebration, a connection with you, the Jesus who wants to free us, and and at least, God, to give us a, a hope that we can endure and persevere through what we might be in right now. Let the bread and juice be Christ for us. Amen.